0: We are the Borg. Lower your shields and surrender your ships. We will add your biological and technological distinctiveness to our own. Your culture will adapt to service us.
1: Resistance is futile. Hello there, viewers. Greetings, Trek fans of the world, and welcome back to the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast for this next episode in our second series dealing with the Borg and advanced AI. Uh, We're back in a sort of a Borg-related episode this week, uh, an episode of Star Trek Picard, Stardust City Rag. Um, but before I go any further, um, unfortunately, my guest for this week was uh, planned to be somebody who's uh, had to drop out. She's not feeling too well. Um, but this is a good chance for me to introduce somebody who's going to become a bit of a regular face here, something of a, a semi-regular co-host uh, who thankfully jumped in at the very last minute. So reveal yourself, mighty co-host. <laughs>
0: uh yes it's me it's dk i'm sorry for uh for everyone who was expecting a better co-host but you you're having a- <laughs> them do with me today
1: no nah, to they, they couldn't do better believe me <laughs> and that's uh it was very last minute so i really appreciate dk jumping in on uh, on this one so that's cool um Right. So um, without any further ado, then we all know what's just quickly, just we know what's to be expected. But in case there's any new listeners, uh, we do the podcast in sections, an introductory section, uh, the hit or miss section where we just debate some things back and forth, uh, and then the main episode review and some audience interaction. It'll become clear as we go along. If you are a new viewer, don't worry. Um, but yeah, so uh, DK, are you ready for a little introductory chat?
0: <laughs> I am. Yes. Yes. anytime
1: Awesome. Uh, well, this is the section that uh, that I like to call healing frequencies open.
0: Healing frequencies open, sir.
1: Right. Well, because you've uh, you've been on enough now that you've, uh, you, like I said, you've become something of a regular fixture. We've asked you a lot of the questions uh, that I tend to ask about favorite episodes and characters and stuff. Uh, so just, you know, for a bit of difference in, in case there's ever any episodes when we are just, you know, the regular coast and co-host. Uh, why not just have a chat? I thought about regular stuff. So uh, as they've both aired, have you had a chance to watch the newest episodes of uh, Discovery and Picard yet? I have. Yes. Oh, awesome. And uh, what did you think about? Well, we'll start with Discovery. What did you think of the penultimate episode? And spoilers, by the way, if anyone hasn't seen it. Oh, oh.
0: Sorry, uh, Discovery, I'm a, to, to my shame, oh. I'm a couple of weeks behind on that one.
1: Okay, fair enough. Uh, we can move on then from that because that's fair enough. I won't actually spoil that for you and say uh, you have seen Picard episode two, Penance, though, right, from series two? I have, yes. Yes, good, good. Uh, that's fair enough then. So, uh, again, spoilers if you haven't seen it. What are your initial kind of thoughts on the, on that episode of Star Trek Picard then, DK?
0: I enjoyed it, although it didn't make for very comfortable viewing at times. The, mm, uh, yeah. Things like uh, mirror universes, uh, I'm always a bit wary. I don't like seeing my traditional heroic characters in that kind of lens. So, to see earth and the federation in that kind of lens to such an extent it's it, especially in light of uh, you know world events both recent and current it, it it's a little uncomfortable
1: yeah i can definitely understand that i think i would be more of that mind except for the fact that thankfully we didn't have to see any familiar characters acting like that because all of the ones that we know were kind of aware of the change and were still themselves uh so Thankfully, we didn't have like, I mean, they did name drop General Sisko, but we didn't have to have a scene of, you know, great, horrible war emperor Jake Sisko massacring people or anything, which would have been a bit much to take. But uh, yeah, yes, so, that thankfully, would have been a
0: bit too, a step too far, I think.
1: Yeah, exactly. So as I said, the fact that it was, I really liked it. I think the fact that it's building up a bit of a mystery is intriguing. I kind of wish that we didn't have to keep doing this ten part mystery for every series, because if this was part one of a two parter I think I would have much preferred it, but I know we're not going to get any resolution next week, if you know what I mean. Um, so that's yeah. frustrating. Yeah,
0: I did like the uh, the reference to other characters, as you say, they were Cisco and Spot and Kirk mm. and Spock and it's uh, nice little touches there
1: yeah there was even more if you uh, if you're an easter egg fan i know that i'm following some people on twitter who said if you looked at the screens and boy you have to look close you could see that um there was reference to a uh, general o'brien facing the dominion and uh lieutenant colonel tasha Yar fighting the romulans and stuff so uh, just extra little oh, wow. easter eggs if you wanted to look for them <laughs> but, uh, yeah uh, but i mean even in the episode we did get reference didn't we to like gul Dukat and general martok and sarek and all that so um kind of was, could have done with better circumstances but yeah very yes very Um could have been darker I did notice there's what looks like Worf's kind of baldric sash behind Picard and I was like oh don't tell me he killed him I can't be doing with that <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah I don't really I, I don't love the kind of alternate timeline type thing either but if it's it, what bugged me the most is the fact that Picard kind of went through the motions of saying oh he changed something in the past and it's changed this and Picard didn't immediately go like the Borg with first contact because yeah. it's exactly the same plot. You know? We'll
0: just ignore that bit. Just brush there under the car. I'm sure it's something else.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially considering they met the ball Queen, you'd think he would be like, this is very familiar. It wasn't that long ago yeah. we did this, was it? But uh, yeah. yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens when they go back in time, considering they're going to, they said it was 2024, which 2024. is only two years from yeah. now so like what are they going to do what are they trying to show us and will we like it will we, will we be happy about what we see probably not but, uh, i predict
0: yeah. i predict uh, car chasers it's los angeles
1: <laughs> um i i personally given the easter egg i noticed of the great statue of a, a particular character i expect to see some brent spiner in the past <laughs> uh, ah, i spotted yes. the statue of uh, statue of his new character that was like pride of place and what looked like a Starfleet headquarters or star core headquarters, whatever it is. So I was like, ah, okay. I, I see who what that doing. was
0: because I didn't have my glasses on. So I was trying to, I was trying to see who it was, but I didn't pick up on that.
1: I could just about make it out. But then, as I said, if you follow like people on Twitter, they said, this is character Adam sung played by Brent Spiner. And I was like, ah, okay. So he's mm-hmm. going to be integral to whatever this change is, and probably be a descendant from like 2024 20, or whatever, who did something. So, cause, uh, I'm intrigued to see how we're going to bring Soji or uh, what have you into the story because she wasn't with the fleet that got blown up that would be aware of the changes. So it's like, huh, how is she going to become involved? And I'm really interested what these Watchers are that are going to somehow notice the changes in the timeline because that's a new development. That's never happened before.
0: (laughs) The only thing I can... As soon as they said the Watchers, and for some reason I'm probably completely way off base, but seeing as she's already been there, I'm imagining Guinan. Mm.
1: Yeah, potentially because it could be just characters like you said who are aware of changes in the timeline and things like that. So definitely, I know this. Yeah. Uh,
0: this is series...
1: like the uh, subtle yesterday's Enterprise reference. <laughs> yeah, Q no, was I'm clearly sure, so. Q is clearly a fan of Star Trek. He referenced yesterday's Enterprise and in a mirror, darkly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, there's something going on with Q as well that I'm intrigued about. There's a lot of great mysteries, and I think a lot of the season's going to depend on how they pay them off. Um, but I'm definitely along for the ride. I'm liking it. so so far. I'm um, enjoying
0: this one much more. Um, but I'm one of the people that enjoy Series 1. But I'm, so far, I'm enjoying it much more than I I did Season 1.
1: Yeah. Well, we'll I'm sure we'll get into that later, because it's a Series 1 episode we're reviewing, so it seems quite appropriate. But uh, we'll talk, I'm sure, about that is later. It, but, uh, and is it just me?
0: Or do you think... Or, Possible spoilers. Do you get the impression that Gerard and en- end up wanting to join the collect?
1: Yes and no. I think there's very definitely... The Borg Queen has a very specific interest in her, but I don't think it's for assimilation necessarily. Um, I just think she has this weird... Like she, she recognizes some kind of kindred spirit or something out her mind or something that she can use uh, or manipulate. Which again, yeah, that's with kind of annoying if still.
0: On one that uh, you know she doesn't belong anywhere, mm. and if jumping to belong, what better place than the uh, the collective?
1: I think she's just manipulating, as I say, which I kind of hate because that's exactly the same as basically what the Robbylands did with Soji last year, um, and kind of what they did with her with the whole mind melting. thing. So I'm like, oh, I hope it's not just the same plot all over again that would kind of suck. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> what did you think of the new book we know about um, Annie Wershing playing the character now?
0: It took a little getting used to. For some mm. reason when it was when, when I watched Voyager, the uh when they recast the queen there, I had no problems with that. I'm not sure if it, I'm not I'm not sure if it's the makeup
1: or I think the it way
0: is a bit, yeah. I can't quite get on board with this one. But I'm hoping that will change as it goes on.
1: It's weird for me because I'm a huge fan of that actress and I've watched her in a load of other shows. Um, she was in a Marvel show called Runaways and she was in a, yeah, another I time travel show called Timeless. Yeah, oh, you watched it, yeah?
0: <laughs> cool. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm MCU crazy, mate. There's nothing. I even watched Inhumans. Awesome.
1: Oh, yeah, me too, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> Wish I hadn't. Never again, those, man, but, yeah. but... Yes, not not something I'd give a rewatch. But no, because I know the actress, I just kept on seeing the actress rather than the character, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. Which is weird because the other two, Susanna Thompson and Alice Krieger, seem so much like the same person. And this version so different. But as you say, I think it's the the makeup as well because they've given her like cleavage and completely different like bulk plugins and stuff. But there's definitely a, yeah. a nice sinister vibe to her. So,
0: yeah. <laughs> I will be interested to see where, she, where, where they take it with her. I wasn't expecting it to become mm. a kind of a a member of the Rio, uh, the Serena crew.
1: Oh, I fully expected that. As soon as they, they mentioned in the first trailer they were doing time travel and there was a ball queen, I was like, well, that explains that then. <laughs> That's how they're going to time travel. Um, but I didn't realise it was like they needed the equivalent of Spock for calculations. I just thought she'd just plug in and do it like first contact style because they could do it there. So why not? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was nice to get a nice reference to Kirk doing the old slingshot manoeuvre a few times. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, yeah, that was cool. Uh, Just uh, before we move on to the next section, then, um, do you have any other things? I know you have, but I'm just uh, trying to get the audience involved. Any things you've been buying, Star Trek-related products and stuff that you wanted to give a quick shout-out to?
0: (laughs) Well, as we know, it's usually the Eagle Moss hour when we start talking. Uh, (laughs) Of course. uh, I recently recently purchased the XL Lassarina. funnily enough, and it arrived yesterday, uh, yesterday, was it? I think it was yesterday. I sent you a photo. I uh, did. <laughs> and, yeah, I I ordered that and the uh, the illustrated handbook for the 1701 and
1: 1701A. Oh, I love and that book. I have that. <laughs> and, uh,
0: when, it, when it turned out, I was, I mean, to be completely honest, I was impressed with both because I wasn't expecting either to be as big as they mm. were. And Yeah, and the
1: actually, Enterprise book is surprisingly thicker. Yeah.
0: But uh, the book, I couldn't get over. I think that was.
1: Oh, it's very in depth. Yeah, I was really pleased because I did not expect when I was flicking through it when I first got it that it would include like the um, Discovery era design and the Pike sort of uh, crew and everything yeah. from those uh, Discovery season two. And I was like, oh, it's so awesome that they actually have included everything and the authors and stuff of that Enterprise, which I think looks gorgeous anyway, in the book are so really well well done. You know, so, it's, yeah, it's very... such a good
0: book. I think I've got my eye now on the uh, the Deep Nine one.
1: I, I recommend them all. I've got all of them <laughs> because I'm just that sad. <laughs> I have the Enterprise D. I've got the DS Nine and the Defiant. I've got Voyager, and they're all amazing. Because I mean, you you can see by flicking through, it's really in depth. It goes like deck by deck and covers everything. And then it even covers things like uniforms and stuff. So oh, yeah, I was they are fantastic. At
0: that. And, and sign- uh rank insignia.
1: Yeah. Yep, completely. <laughs> and then shuttlecraft I mean, and things, uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of. Oh, completely, I love those. I've got one of those from the, the Shotcraft set, the Worker Beast. They're cool. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. In terms of value, though, I would probably say, yeah, for your, for your next one, DS9, considering it has the station and the Defiant, it's probably your best bet. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, definitely. I mean, but I wasn't um, very I'm not, impressed with the model as well. I know you're not entirely a fan of the design, but I've, I've I'm not,
1: but I... I'm not a fan of the design, but your model of it actually looked really good. I was, I did like the look of the model, if you, if that makes sense. So, I was like, okay, I can dig yeah. it. But I tell you, I tell you what, though, having watched the first couple of episodes of season two now, I actually really like the design where they've just gotten rid of the stupid bright red and they've just got the muted kind of icy gray coloring to it. So, if they release a model of I that, like I probably that. will it's end up getting
0: it. it. The eighties and you know, the whole it yeah. gives me a synthwave vibe.
1: Oh, it's, it's Van Halen's guitar. That's exactly the pattern. That's why they did it. It's like an homage, but uh, I just think it's it's too much for a uh, Star Trek. <laughs> exactly. Speaking of uh, recent things, because uh, be, being that I usually do these things when they get made canon, I did actually buy the Star Trek Online uh, USS Gagarin, since it appeared in Picard episode one. Oh, <laughs> so, nice. oh, Damn it, Star Trek Online wasn't supposed to be canon. <laughs> but, <yeah. laughs> um it's yeah, cool though because i've been, though, I've been playing that recently
0: so i've been wanting those anyway but now it's it's I, I have to get them anyway because obviously they've been in picard so that's some more well, only the, the only list. the
1: one that's available there's four in, in the episode but only one of those four is available to buy and it just happens to be the gagarin um but i, I was really impressed with that the detail on it is just fantastic I the sheer like level the of uh, that. it's amazing um and I was surprised how different it is, because I thought it was just going to be the same as the Discovery one. It's based on the Shepherd class, um, but side to side, there's such a lot of differences, actually. It's not just a repaint. I was like, okay, right. I, I can dig this now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we just yeah. keep adding things to our lists.
1: Oh it's ridiculous. I'm not I'm I keep saying I'm not buying anything else until I actually finally receive the Ceritos which I'm still waiting on. Um but it just depends what else what else gets thrown in and made canon or what else they release. Um I mentioned on Twitter the other day that they they brought up for pre-order the Serenity from Firefly and I really want it and it looks gorgeous but I'm not paying 60 quid to just have no Sort of uh, firm date that I'm actually going to receive it. So I'm like, nah, I might wait until it gets released and then look around third party sellers and stuff to see if I can get it. But I'm not just I'm giving Eagle Moss sixty quid.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm the same with the uh, the Light Cycle. I mean, as much as I love the designs on Light Cycle for the price, I'm I'm sorry, Eagle Moss, but no, I'm going to have to get it on a sale if if yeah. possible. But uh, but not not at the moment.
1: I would definitely say I would recommend uh, those those books. And I meant to say if you get a chance to look into it, there's books that are made by the same people called Designing Starships, uh, which are fantastic. And uh, the DS9 one of that is really, really impressive if you're a fan of that series as well. So yeah, maybe look into that if you have the money.
0: I figured if you've got the, the, uh, the ship, the Starfleet shipyard ones, I thought maybe he's got those. I better ask him about them.
1: I have, yeah, I've got, well, there's various different ones, but it just depends how much of a fan you are, because obviously I've got Discovery, Kelvin Timeline, and then it's Enterprise and Beyond, Voyager and Beyond, and Deep Space Nine and Beyond, and it's the DS9 one that I think is probably the best of them, although they're all great, you know what I mean, but uh, I
0: was
1: was most impressed with the DS9 one, because it has a lot of the kind of thing I'm interested in, like cool initial concept designs for the station and the Defiant and stuff, and uh, rejected designs of various alien ships and stuff, and it's like full, you know, official drawings of these things that we would never ordinarily see. And I'm like, oh, I'm a sucker for this behind the scenes production type stuff. So, yeah, yeah, I love it. (laughs) Then I'll move us on to the next section, which is, uh, as you know, is the section that I call hit or miss. What about my performance? I'm not a drama Uh, critic. Uh, Yeah. So as you know, If you're a new listener, you might not, but as you well know, DK, basically I'm just going to throw out probably six or seven things at most, uh, just random from around the Star Trek universe that I have written down, just random things that popped into my head, and I'm going to ask you if you think they're a hit or a miss, a little bit of an explanation as to why, and uh, we can sort of debate back and forth if there's disagreement, which there isn't usually all that much, but we'll see. Um, So yeah, are you ready for the first one? Yeah, hit me. Uh, So the first one on my list for today, then, is the Klingon D7 Battlecruiser, hit or miss? (laughs)
0: Oh, just, it's design perfection for me. I grew up with that.
1: <laughs> Absolutely true, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, So you're going to see a hit on that one?
0: <laughs> Definitely. When I saw the uh, the updated version in Undiscovered Country, I was I was practically mm. weeping with joy.
1: Yeah, the Katinga class is, uh, is really cool, which is basically the D7 Advanced, but... Uh, yeah i'm only talking about the d7 kind of the original series era and i guess discovery did briefly feature it um but yeah Uh, i just think when i
0: was was young i had the enterprise corgi ship i don't know if you ever had one of those cool no but i know of it yeah and i had that but i really wanted the klingon one too and i never got it (laughs)
1: Oh, bless. I I actually, I shouldn't keep saying this, but I I do have the Eagle Moss model of the D7, and it's the first time I've ever owned (laughs) it, and it's so good. It's so cool. uh,
0: That was one of the ones that was on sale, wasn't it? I was really tempted, but I thought... It's
1: 4.25 in the UK,
0: yeah? (laughs) Yeah, I think it's only 5 euros here, and I was tempted, but I thought, no, because if I start with Klingon chips, this is never going to end.
1: Yeah, well, I, I I did, and I have the Klingon Bird of Prey, the D7, and the Cleave ship from Discovery, and then stopped, because I was like, no, stop it. <laughs> Saying that, I, I still carried on, and I have, like, a shelf of Borg ships, including the assimilated Arctic One, for no other reason than I reviewed Regeneration last episode, and was like, I like the design of that one. It's been half-assimilated. Let's see if it's on sale. Oh, it is. Okay. Oh, I'm having <laughs> that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll probably chuck something in then for an impromptu thing, but I'll, I'll finish up here first and say that, yeah, the D7... Uh, if you ever have a chance to read the, it's a pretty famous book, The Making of Star Trek, uh, which deals in depth with the, uh, the Matt Jeffrey's designs for the original Enterprise and the D Seven, which are the two main ships that they developed. It's a really fascinating look into the design process of that ship, and um, I always remember it because I think I read it when I was really like w- stupidly young, like eight or nine, and it was the first like behind the scenes type book that I'd ever not been bored by. Uh, but I was just fascinated at all of the initial ideas that became this Klingon ship, and you could tell there was genuine love went into it. And I just think the design is fabulous. So I'm going to say I, hit. Yeah,
0: definitely.
1: <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So um, have you had a chance then uh, for the purposes of this next one to watch the Strange New Worlds teaser trailer yet? Yeah? I have. Yes. Uh, so I wasn't going to do this, but i thinking, why not throw this in as a little second hit or miss? Uh, what did you think of the new closer to the original series shuttle that we got a glimpse of in the trailer?
0: I loved it. It was, it, was great,
1: like, wasn't it? it was like <laughs> porn for the eyes <laughs> wouldn't necessarily go that far but yeah. oh, um, I,
0: I, it was just so nice I, I mean I, I love discovery I love Picard but to see the touches that were as as we said when, when, last time we spoke I'm a child of the uh, original series so to yeah. see little de- details like that. Oh it was just wonderful and then to hear the familiar theme at the end of the trailer it was just, oh
1: mm-hmm. I just I was I was not expecting them to do for the shuttle what they'd done for the enterprise which is to keep as close as possible while still updating it because I was like, they've got the assets, so they'll probably just be using Discovery shuttles since it's around the same type. And then when I saw what looks like a sort of a a more advanced version of the old kind of Galileo type whatever it is, type 6 shuttle, and I was like they've got everything. They've got the swept back fins that go further than the door, the little slope on it, the kind of white, bright white colour scheme that nothing in sort of Discovery got a chance to be that bright and I was like, oh, I am loving that we're moving towards the original series. The uniforms are getting closer, the shuttles are getting closer so uh, I'm all for just uh, the original series with updated effects. <laughs> it is.
0: Oh, it, it does look good. I cannot wait to see this.
1: Yeah, I really hope we get a chance to somewhere because uh, I've got a feeling we're going to have to be told we'll have to wait for Paramount Plus, like Prodigy, and I'm not going to be happy about that. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I, I, w- I don't should.
0: mind. I'm 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 erring now towards more towards getting it. Damn you, Paramount. Because my parents also are wanting to watch, uh, Yellow is it Yellowstone? I'm not sure. Yeah, I've
1: heard a lot about it, yeah. Yeah, yeah
0: and I- I'm wanting to watch it, but I wish they'd just hurry up. How many technical problems can they have with trying to get this out there?
1: That's a nightmare. I mean, if, if they're not going to have it ready, at least give us a chance to watch it by putting it, I mean, I'm, well, we're currently watching Picard on Amazon Prime Video. You know, sell the rights to the first season to somebody who can broadcast it first, <laughs> rather than saying you've just got to wait and wait because... It's it, it's a nightmare, especially considering how good Prodigy is and how how much it's been spoiled anyway. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. frustrating that we still you, don't even have a date for that.
0: <laughs> you would have thought that they would have, uh, you know, just thrown people a bone when it comes to things yeah. like Prodigy and Strange New Worlds. If it's not going to be out, and from from the way they're discussing things, Paramount Plus isn't going to be out at that point. So, no. you know, just give people give them an excuse to keep coming back.
1: Yeah yeah we well we live in hope i mean they, they did correct their mistake after a week with discovery and put it on pluto tv so you never know i suppose yeah. we'll wait and see but uh yeah i think actually now that i've mentioned that because I, I just to correct myself i think there was an announcement last week that is coming to nickelodeon at some point in the next few months uh, in the uk but i would have to look that up uh, and right. you guys know <laughs> i suppose yeah. in the comments But uh, yeah um not that i have nickelodeon but yeah at least it's gonna kind of aired in the uk closer to a dvd or blu-ray release i guess
0: <laughs> yeah i think that's that's what i'm gonna have to do for the moment when it gets to the end of season four of discovery it'll be a, mm. a day one purchase i think
1: mm. well i'd do that anyway because i'm an idiot <laughs> i'm a sucker for these things <laughs> as eagle must <Moss> well know <laughs> <laughs> Moving on then, uh, talking about Discovery, uh, the next thing that I have written on my hit or miss list for today is the character Adira Tal. Would you say they are a hit or a miss?
0: Oh, definitely a hit.
1: Awesome. And uh, and reasons why?
0: <laughs> I just think... I think Blue Dale Barrio is a fantastic actor.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely they really are. And uh, so do you like what they've kind of brought to Discovery, especially since adding to the, the main cast, I think, in Season 4?
0: I, I I honestly... Uh, when uh, Blue and Ian were oh, first yeah. mooted, I, th- I, I, I was dubious simply because right. they, a, there were already far too many characters, and obviously they were always concentrating on Michael with the, you know, sometimes mm. Tilly, sometimes Saru, and I thought, surely this isn't going to work. Mm. The family with mm-hmm. Adira and Grey and Stamet and Colbert, I love that. They're like, they're the heart of the show. I just think yeah. that family to me can do no wrong. I absolutely love every single one of them.
1: Yeah, I, I'm glad to agree. I loved uh, Stamets and Colbert already because they were just a rare example of a relationship that was realistic, but wasn't like fraught with, I mean, there was the moment of tension in uh, the second season, but otherwise it's not like constant drama. It's just a relationship where there's genuine love and it kind of works. Um, so I was exactly. on board with them anyway um which was a really cool like obviously it's always cool to have a bit more representation and stuff in terms of sort of a gay couple and a non-binary person and a trans person anyway um but to have them in this kind of sort of found family unit uh as you say just I think really really does work and it could have been potentially a bit um uh, exploitive but it doesn't ever come off yeah. like that um because everyone has their own kind of role to play and they seem to do it really well um, and they're all
0: such but, likeable characters
1: yeah all exactly. <laughs>
0: I, I I don't think you would root for them. If if anything, my personal thing is you don't I don't think you see enough of them recently. That's my only it, gripe. Yeah. In terms
1: of Blue, I love I love Adira's story. I love that they gave them um the kind of trail backstory and the idea of the first human to successfully kind of have a symbiont because that's fascinating within itself. Um so I absolutely love that. Um and yeah, just uh, linking that to their kind of boyfriend and the the, the kind of the emotional connection along with the literal kind of physical collection in terms of um the symbiosis of the thrill is, is kind of fascinating for me so i think it work I, really well but yeah
0: you can buy that relationship just I'll like that that's yeah. so good
1: yeah, because that there's genuine chemistry because those two clearly do get along, and same with them. Um, I think it's the same with Stamets and Culber. That works as a family because there's genuine affection between all of the actors involved. Um, otherwise, yeah, it wouldn't actually, necessarily I mean, work.
0: I mean, I've seen I saw, I saw them on the the Star Trek Day broadcast, and they actually mm. they, they, they they kind of came across as a family.
1: You know, mm-hmm. yeah. I think that, so. I think there's they're, a lot They're not even
0: of on here. camera, and.
1: I think there's a certain level of protectiveness as well um, towards the younger parts uh, of that family from the older ones because obviously they've lived with kind of a little bit of intolerance and a little bit of harshness and and being different. So um, it's kind of nice to see. I think that protective side that's very parental, which I guess fits the character really well as well because yeah. that's how they would would react. So yeah, um, but yeah, I've, I've went on enough so I would say definitely yeah, a dear at all. A hit for me. I love the introduction of the character in Discovery. Um, I kind of regret that we've had to lose Tilly, and i hope that's not because Blues become a main cast member that we've lost uh, Mary Wiseman. But yeah, <laughs> unfortunate. I heard she still, was yeah.
0: starring in a, in a in a play. I'm not sure if that was anything to do with it, but I hope she. Comes yeah, back I did
1: see that. Yeah. A regular. I hope she does. I hope she comes back. It will be a shame to lose her, but. Um, Anyway, that's not neither here nor there. It would it wouldn't be Blue's fault anyway if that wasn't the oh, case. Definitely in not. terms of uh, in terms of what they can contribute, fine jobs. So it's hard to uh, to complain, you know. Uh, so yeah, that's another hit. So that would be three hits. Uh, so I'll move to the next thing. The next thing I've written down is another thing from uh, Discovery season three onwards. Completely coincidentally, I promise it was it just the way things came into my head. But um, it's Nivar. Would you say that's a hit or a miss? Uh, for me personally,
0: mm. it's a bit of a miss right now, oh because you see you no know, i I like the idea that unifica- that reunification actually happened, but I would like to spend a little more time there. We only get mm. brief glimpses, and yeah yeah after after all of these years and you know seeing the efforts that went into reunification, it would be nice to to spend a little time there.
1: You know yeah we spend a, we spend a lot of time with that one character the president who is just a vulcan um so it would yeah. be nice as you're saying to get a sense of how do these species intermingle is is there not any kind of because it, it should be fascinating about how do they cope with the fact that the romulans are so emotional and don't adhere to the strict logic and yet the Vulcans still do there's so much story there i think that's not being told that i would love to see how it works um, Exactly. Yeah. And but that's the, only, introduced... that's the only thing
0: for me that makes it a miss, the fact that we don't yeah. we don't get to spend enough time there. But I guess you could say that about most aspects of the uh, the Trek universe. Everybody has their own preferences.
1: Yeah, mean, back in the day you probably would have got a lot more of a chance because we have less episodes now and less chance to to really do those kinds of stories, I guess, but I kind of I'm with you in the regards that when they have had a chance to do it, they've kind of used it to to plug the kind of Picard season one agenda. Like i could have yeah. lived without seeing the what do you call the kuop a lot um and how they kind of fit into vulcan because we barely know them so it's kind of like yeah well, i don't fully care you know what i mean, I mean so-
0: I'll, I'll be completely honest with you normally i don't find the romulans
1: as a as a anti-
0: uh, antagonist all that interesting right they, they're okay to a point uh but when when I'm watching something or I'm reading something or say I'm on Star Trek online and the Romulans, I think, oh good grief, not the Romulans again.
1: Oh, see, I kind of like them. I <laughs> don't know why, but I,
0: I like them. But I think they've been overused in recent hmm. times. They they were severely underused back in TOS, apart from obviously now Balance of Terror. Uh, yeah,
1: Bands of Terror and the Enterprise incident are two great episodes, but it's literally the only two appearances of them in TOS. So.
0: Exactly. The yeah. movie's pretty much, apart from that one ambassador in uh, in Trek 5 and then the other ambassador in Trek 6, it pretty much ignored them.
1: Well, they uh, were supposed to be in 3, to be fair, until they changed that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And but, uh, yeah. I, I, I
0: don't know. It's I, I didn't like what they did with them in Nemesis, but I think we've mm. we've already covered that ground.
1: It's the same again, though, because they feel the need to add stuff to them to make them interesting, because when they brought them into Picard, they added this kind of anti-technology group and the Kuat Malat, and when they brought them in for Nemesis, they added the Remans that had never been seen before, and it's like, just let them them be themselves without feeling the need to throw in tons of new ideas. It's like, they're a fascinating enough idea as it is because they're basically, you know, proto-Vulcans who did not embrace logic, and there's got to be something in that that you can explore about the fact that they did they, thrive and they could throw it back in the Vulcan space and be like, well, we're around, aren't we? So clearly your technique is not the only way, you know? So, exactly. But, and uh, it, yeah, as I, would,
0: I say, it just would be nice to see how, as you put, they've integrated with each other. I, I would yeah. like to see which, I love the idea. I love that reunification finally took place. But uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's... as as we discussed about bruce maddox that time it's there it's happened it would be nice to see a little more than what we have
1: yeah that was in a previous episode we talked about that for bruce and said the same yeah i'm kind of on the same page i think you've you've convinced me to probably say the same and go soft miss because we just don't have enough of it and uh i think if you're going to do something that big it's kind of a shame to just say oh well it's happened and then it's just a background bit of detail because that's a big sea change and it really should be explored more um, yeah. So yeah, that's fair enough. I think. Um yeah, I think I mean, that's I
0: mean, one of the problems with the serialization. It's great for yeah, the definitely. epic stories, but you do miss out on these these little. And they're, 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 to me, they're not filler episodes. You you do miss mm. out on on cultures and backgrounds and storylines that you wouldn't normally get.
1: Yeah, precisely. I mean, like I said, they have done one episode, I would say, per season where they've dealt with the Romulan and. Uh, and unification, um, but that's not enough. One episode per season, one in series three and one in series four, not enough to get into the nitty gritty of that. But they, they can't really focus on it because that's not the main plot, that's not related in series three to the whole Andorian, you know, um, the, what you call the Orion Syndicate thing and the war against them. And it's not in series four related yeah. to species 10C's threat. So, but that's why I don't, I mean, I thought that the really games are big
0: and cinematic and yeah. they want to make as big an impact as possible. But it would be nice. Yeah. I mean as the old series show compared to budgetary compared to the current season but you don't need to throw just massive amounts of budget at the wall star trek were always good even when it was just a two-hander episode
1: yeah exactly i think some of them really are some of some of the best like that but um, yeah as you see i think the i just hope that with discovery having dropped episodes again on uh, series five, now it's down to 10 episodes. I really hope they're not just doing a single 10 episode story and that we can maybe just get into some standalone stuff, maybe or two part stories or something, other than this is the threat and we're going to spend 10 weeks dealing with just this one thing. Because it would be nice to now, see
0: that, yeah.
1: Yeah, It's now just been the same thing that they've done literally every year. It was, you know, the Klingon War in season one, it was the Red Angel in season two, it was the Emerald Chain and the Burn in season three. And it was this 10C thing and the um, yeah. dark matter anomaly in season four. So it's like, in season five, let's do some exploring and let's see what's happening and see what the world looks like, as opposed to, oh, this is a major epic threat we must deal with. So
0: yeah, yeah. it would be it would be nice. It would be nice. As I say, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm I'm still loving the show, but it would be nice oh, just yeah. to take a breather every now and again.
1: I like what we've got, but it's just like there's not going to be a whole lot to show for the show when it finishes because ultimately it's only really told four or five stories across all the seasons. Fair enough. I'll move on then to the next thing on the list um, because I think that we have legit concerns, but I don't think we savaged the the Discovery writers as such there. It's just, yeah, the slightness in Navarre, but we could always develop that in the next season. Uh, So the next thing on my list then is the USS Dauntless, the fake Starfleet ship from the end of Series 4 of Voyager. Hit or miss.
0: <laughs> is that the one where uh, Ray Wise played the alien?
1: That is, yeah. He played Arturus, who uh, invented the ship because his species were assimilated by the Borg. By the Borg. And he blamed Janeway for it.
0: <laughs> yeah. I uh, I actually quite like that ship. It would have been nice had that been a, been a legitimate Federation
1: creation. I remember I was never convinced it was going to be, oh, this is going to get us home because we'd been here before with a couple of kind of false starts and especially in season four with the array and the messages home and the Prometheus and stuff. So I was like, I don't believe for a second, it's going to get them home. But I did, I did think it, I didn't see through what Arturus's plan was and that it was kind of, he was bitter at them and uh, was trying to get them assimilated. And I did believe it could be potentially a Starfleet ship. And I did think they would perhaps utilize the, the slipstream technology, which they did in fairness, briefly in that episode and in season five, um, but yeah, the ship design I really did like. I thought I hated the registry number, which makes no sense, NX-01A, which um, in retrospect only made sense once it was revealed to be fake. It's it's a weird one for me. It's a hit because it looks really cool, but it's hard to say because it's not a Starfleet design, if you know what I mean. So it's like, how are you judging? If it was a Starfleet design, I would like it. Uh, because it was so different, but I wouldn't like that to be the way all Starship design went. It would be cool as like a one-off or a um, a, a diff thing that stood alone, um, or as I said, a test bed for any future yeah. quantum slipstream attempts. Um, But it does look really cool, I will say you could that. say that, that, that the, kind really of about Federation ships.
0: There's a lot of Federation ships that you look at think, that's unique. I like all the Federation ships were yeah. of that design. They're not so keen.
1: Yeah, and there is a couple of things that I think would need ironing out before I could say it was perfect, because uh, there's a couple of kind of angles and joins that don't look right at all, which, again, again fits the point of the story that it's not a Federation ship. Um, but I would personally iron it out if you were going to call it a Starfleet design. Um, okay. But I was still, I would still say hit, personally. Uh, the next thing on my list, then, is the uh, Cardassian Gallo-class warship. Hit or miss? Oh, I like hit awesome before i go any further i will point out i don't have the model of this so this isn't on my list because i wanted to plug it for once yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: but yeah um so when uh, w- what do you like about the design then in that case
0: i just like the design and uh, and again it's it's just a small thing i love the little mm-hmm. red uh
1: phaser
0: oh, yeah. phaser cannons at the front it,
1: it, yeah uh, i was thinking of the kind of what looks like the reflector thing at the front it's kind of a red jewel thing. It's, oh, it? Is
0: it the rather than the fate. Yeah. I, I like that. Maybe it's it, both. Yeah. It's, it's going back to this the synth wavy aspect.
1: Yeah, definitely. I love the little the, the fact that it's got what looks like a little lip or a like a baseball cap thing, I guess, over the front of it. It's such a little <laughs> touch, but I love it. <laughs> it's, just, it's it's a cool it's a, design. It's a, it's, a, it's
0: a nice ship. And I yeah. think I don't think we'd seen anything quite like that in the Trek
1: universe until about no point. but It looks like we should have because it doesn't look like it's both completely new and somehow familiar because of the shape and everything of it. It looks a bit rocket shippy, maybe. Um, So, yeah, I think it's good. (laughs) Yeah. And I like the color, too.
0: Yes. Uh, That kind of yellowish brown is a unique design choice.
1: Yeah, but it's on pretty much all the Cardassian ships and things, and I think it looks really cool. It's weird how you think uh, when you think uh, DS9, Tarak no, isn't that weird sort of brownie color. It's like metallic steel. <laughs> Makes you wonder what it would look like if it was like Cardassian brown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> fair enough. Okay, we, we both we both tend to like the, the Cardassian ship design and that's fair enough. Um, I, I don't remember seeing a lot of it in next gen, a couple of times maybe, but then DS9, I know there was a lot of use of it. And yeah. uh, obviously when they joined the Dominion, lots more. So yeah, fair enough. Um, so the next thing on my list then is a episode of voyager uh, and it's the two-part of the killing game hit or miss
0: that's the uh is that the herojin the world war ii set one?
1: it is yeah when they basically take the holodeck and extend it to the ship and have world war ii playing and stuff uh
0: i've never i've I, i'll be i'll be honest i've never been a big fan of the
1: herojin <laughs> oh i love them
0: <laughs>
1: uh, is it, yeah
0: they're they're okay
1: I mean they're just I, I, predators from predators yeah, exactly, <laughs> <Yeah>. exactly. Uh,
0: <laughs> i like yeah i liked i like the two-parter for what it was okay. uh yeah. obviously yeah. we're going back to budget again it's obviously cheaper mm. to film yeah. on the uh on that little location which
1: paramount you know, Backlot or whatever it is Yeah, uh, yeah like so
0: many times yeah uh, yeah i enjoyed it. it it made a nice little it made a nice little change it's it's to me, it's a kind of throwback to the TOS days, where they were trying to stretch budgets, thinking, yeah, well, like, patterns of force or...
1: yeah, In TOS, it would have actually been a World War II planet, though, inexplicably, exactly. just a planet where they've copied World War II for some reason.
0: Yeah, or, like, a piece of the action with
1: the uh, the gangsters. Yeah, Or even, like, the, the various planets that look like ancient Rome and stuff. You know?
0: Yeah, there's quite a few of
1: those. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, no, I think I'm more enthusiastic uh, than you maybe about the killer game. I really like it. I love the fact that characters can play out of type, if you know what I mean, against the the familiar characters. Um, And even the, the moments when they are shocked and jarred back into themselves. So the moment when Seven of Nine goes from kind of Mademoiselle de Nerve singing to activating her little thing. And then she's just completely baffled what's going on and like, oh. I can't sing. I am not well. <laughs> I think so. Um, and I, I, do, I do like the Hirogen. I like them better in that episode than when they were just the predator in those first couple of appearances. Um, yeah. There was a bit more depth to them when it was like, look, we want to hunt, but we realize it's not really a, a viable thing forever. So holograms are an option, perhaps. Um, and it was good to see something that seemed like a genuine threat that had taken over the ship and kind of stayed that way not like the Kazon had it for like a week or whatever <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> whereas the, the hirogen were really running things and uh, and taking no prisoners so yeah but be like honest, by the time you got to that point the
0: last thing you wanted to see was another Kazon.
1: yeah well <laughs> exactly <laughs> but uh yeah no i, I really love the killing Game. I, I thought it was a good idea to use world war Two uh because they would wouldn't they if uh, you know we're hunting so why not pick a turbulent time in history and stuff um, yeah so, yeah, I thought it I was,
0: thought was I, was, I was saying, Well, it made, like, as I say, it made a nice change from your uh, your standard episodes.
1: Yeah. I also thought it was really clever how they worked in uh, Roxanne Dawson's pregnancy for the only time in the season as well. Yeah. <laughs> By uh, having a bit <laughs> like a holographic. She was just wearing
0: the, uh, the engineer's jacket, wasn't she? <laughs>
1: exactly, yeah, throughout <laughs> the rest of season four, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, well, that's cool. That's cool. Um, that's further. Well, I'll move us on then. So, that's, that's like seven things in the hit or miss, and we, we're mostly positive, I think, about them. So, um, mm. I will move us on. So, See, we, this we, we, is we gonna... Patrick. Of course, we do. <laughs> that's all we talk about. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, no, that's fair enough. Uh, but as I say, we are going to move into the main episode review now, and we will begin analysis. That's analysis. So, the episode in question, as I mentioned, uh, is another Borg episode this week to fit into our theme, kind of, um, and it's the episode Stardust City Rag from Picard. That's episode five of season one, Uh, and yeah, we're just going to do a full review here. So, before I get into kind of fast facts and bits and pieces before I start, uh, did you have any kind of facts or information yourself, Diki, or any kind of first thoughts about before you'd rewatch the episode?
0: Uh, I remember watching this uh, the first time when it came out and not enjoying it that much but I'm I'm not sure if it's cuz I knew what was coming this time but uh, it impressed me a lot more on the second okay, year. okay.
1: Fair enough. Um, So you remember not liking it the first time, but you didn't really have any other thoughts maybe about it until we'd rewatched. So and then we'll get into what you thought now for that time. That's fair enough. Uh, Cool. Um, Well, before we start, then, as I say, this season, what I've been this series, I should say, what I've been doing is just giving a few fast facts of of anything that I can find about the episode just to give a little bit of flavor to it before we start reviewing. Um, The first fact that I know about this one is that there are signs on free cloud for Mr. Mott's hair impobrium. Quark's Bar, Darbo Tables, and Orion Slave Girls, which are, of course, all Easter eggs for other Trek stuff. Uh, and Rios is said to have worked for Mr. Quark of Ferenginar as part of his um, kind of cover as a face uh, um, on a job involving the Breen. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, related to that, my second fact is Bajazal offers Tranya to Maddox, and that, of course, is a favourite drink of Bailok from the Corbomite Maneuver, which also turned up in DS9. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, fast fact number three seven of nine's drink of choice is straight up bourbon which is an odd thing because it was previously stated and shown that her physiology doesn't react well to synth making her easily intoxicated in both timeless and body and soul uh, so either she's gotten over that or presumably real alcohol is less damaging to her i don't know <laughs>
0: i'm gonna go um, with that she's built up her resistance as she's gone <laughs> as she's regained her
1: humanity <laughs> she just spent like a good three months blackout drunk with the Fenris rangers <laughs> final <laughs> yeah so that's pretty good to be honest <laughs> awesome uh, and the last thing of course this episode sees the return of two characters uh Icheb and Bruce Maddox though in both cases they were recast uh, Icheb actor Manu Interimi stated he wasn't approached to reprise the role um but it's not like it's a very long appearance anyway uh, which we'll deal with when we get into the review so uh, as you know what we're going to do I'm just going to briefly go through sort of chronologically, scene by scene, as best we can, and to give back some of my thoughts. Uh, and as as we've always done, if you just want to chime in with anything you agree or disagree, or anything you want to uh, talk about that we haven't mentioned or skipped over, and uh, I'll maybe try and ask you some random questions and stuff as we go. Uh, so yeah, the episode straight up starts with a controversy, which I remember sweeping the internet at the time, and which still gets a lot of uh, play at the moment. Uh, it's 2385, so it's a flashback, and we see that Icheb is being horribly mutilated shall we say um he's getting his eye gouged out to get to one of his borg implants by someone um it's revealed that uh they, they wonder where his cortical node is which if you're a star trek nerd like me is a very nice reference to voyager because as we know he had it uh, removed and implanted into seven of nine to save her life back in season seven so uh, that was pretty cool but uh yeah. So before I carry on, then, what are your thoughts on this controversy, and uh, what do you what do you think about this particular scene of uh, of Ichab being horribly mutilated and then having to be euthanized by Seven of Nine, which is a bit dark, baby? <laughs>
0: it's it's not pleasant to watch, is it? Let's be fair. Uh, mm. But you kind of get that impression that that's how characters were treated anyway during Picard. I mean, look at Hugh. It's mm. they they have a they had a way of getting good characters and kind of disposing of them pretty pretty easily yeah uh, I, when when i first encountered Icheb, i i'd only seen a couple of episodes of voyager it wasn't until i went back and watched the whole thing from beginning to end that i developed any kind of emotional bond to the character mm-hmm. so it's pretty rough what, he, what they put him through yeah, you, I guess. They, yeah, I mean, it's they could have done it with another bog. It would have been less.
1: It would be hard to tie it into Seven of Nine story in such a personal way with but anyone was, else. That's that's
0: the only thing. It it, it does yeah. make for uncomfortable viewing. I mean, they they don't
1: they don't shy away from it in that in that scene. Excuse me. Um, personally, I think a lot of the complaints are a little bit pearl clutchy for me. I don't think the scene is that terrible i get the kind of eye gouging is a bit graphic but i don't think it's the worst thing we've ever seen in star trek and it's certainly not exclusive to the newer star trek shows um definitely not go- but i th-
0: yeah. i think you, you you've, you've i think a lot of the star trek shows the newer ones when they started they would throw things in that would make fans of the older season just you know, sharp intake of breath, kind of thing, and I think it's one yeah. of those. It's along with uh, Picard being told that it has sheer, you know, eponubra, yeah.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah Tilly going, it's so cool, and yeah, I'm, I'm a lot more on board. Which is, seems weird to say, but I'm kind of more, I'm more on board with the violence part of things than the bad language because the extreme language is unnecessary. It never sort of. Seemed like it did. seem like it was just like, oh, because we can. Whereas it's, this violence, for me, it has a story purpose. I think it it puts you straight into the way seven of nine would feel, and you really have to be in a place where she would think killing him is the best possible option. Yeah. And I think if we if we hadn't kind of seen how severe things were in that way, then you would probably think she was a bit of a bitch for for doing that, you know. Rather well, than exactly,
0: I mean, you need to establish that Vijayal needs is is just scum to be honest and what 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 better way of doing it
1: yeah i i think as i said i can see why people might take offense to it or might take issue with it um but i I don't have a problem with it and i think it it makes story sense so i'm fine with it
0: i mean i'm 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 definitely not approved because i grew up watching horror movies so it's it's pretty tame. Uh, and even in some aspects of star trek as you say it's quite tame it's just a bit of a I don't know. It's it, it's a bit of a shock to see a character that you know like that in such dire circumstances. Because I think until this point, you you never really seen a, a recurring I mean, character end up in that kind of situation.
1: Because you say it, that, but there's there's a scene in Timeless where they start experimenting on Seven of Nine's skull, which still has the eye in it. <laughs> Nobody oh, said anything yeah, back then. About that. <laughs> I mean, they're just playing with this brass skull with an eye in, like, oh, we need to get the thing to time travel and stuff. And I'm like, not one person was like, well, that's a bit too far, you know what I mean? <laughs> I would have thought there'd be more complaints about things like first contact as well, because that got really horrific at times, you know, talk about eye gouging and stuff. But eh. yeah, yeah, <laughs> people just like to complain a lot about newer stuff. I think when they get a chance to, but yeah,
0: I, th- I think um, I think it, part of it was definitely uh, the hatred of. From some subsections of so called fans mm-hmm.
1: with new track, yeah. I do think as well that it was perhaps a, a bit too jarring to literally open the episode with it, and that might have been a, a, a poor decision on their part because uh, there's no chance to sort of ease your way in. It's just like, oh, it's 2385, we have the old uniform, oh no, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it's- maybe give us a breathing room, yeah. Awesome. Uh, so, yeah, before we hit the credits, then we go to Free Cloud. Um, and this time we are flashing back to just two weeks ago uh, where Bajazel is dodging lens flares and light flare back and forth <laughs> to meet with Bruce Maddox, um, who it's revealed owes her money and uh, talks about his destroyed lab and thinks it was the Tal Shiar, uh, which is all kind of related to the the plot we've so far had in season one. Um, but she also is revealed to have drugged his drink, which I think feeds into a bit of a noir uh, vibe that maybe is going to pervade the rest of the episode it starts things off with that kind of this is uh, an intriguing mystery and this money collector and this uh what's going on kind of thing so yeah i was intrigued enough i think at that point so when we hit the credits and it was interesting for me to note that this episode is written by kirsten bayer who's a kind of popular novel writer who was brought on board for the newer series uh, and directed by jonathan frakes which i did not realize but uh, no, yeah yeah apparently so <laughs> But uh, yeah, so the episode opens uh, properly in the present day uh, with us in Picard's study room. Um, Of course, at the end of the last episode, he'd beamed Seven of Nine aboard from a Fenris ranger ship that was being destroyed. Uh, So Seven has basically approached Picard and they're having a discussion about what are you out here? You know, saving the galaxy Um, and Seven of Nine's doing the best she can. And they discuss about, you know, the the Fenris rangers are um, doing the best they can because the Federation has left them behind in a very kind of... Reminiscent of the Mackie kind of way. Um, yeah. this is to do with the Romulan relocation and stuff. Uh so yeah, a lot of vibes of things I don't like personally, but I did like that um Seven of Nines kind of great quote about, you know, uh it's it's not easy work, it's horrible, but the only thing worse would be giving up. Um and I kinda like that. That she's she's got that level of resilience, I guess. Um yeah. didn't didn't love that, you know, she's not with the Federation or Starfleet or anything anymore because As a Voyager fan, I would have preferred to know she was with those crew, but what the heck, it's still a perfectly valid storyline and nothing wrong with it.
0: It's still, to me, me at this point, it's still kind of a shock to see her not as the Seven that
1: we knew previously. Yes. Um, It is and it isn't, because I always wanted to have her a bit more like this in Voyager. I think they played the stoic, I am machine person thing too long in Voyager, if that makes sense. Um, and she never really developed beyond that in what four years so as soon as she appeared here and it, it was nice to see oh at least they've actually let her develop a bit you know what I mean so yeah um, I was with it plus Jerry Ryan's just such a good actress that I was just on board with believing it was her straight away I was like yep that's her <laughs> I buy it so, but uh, yeah intriguingly uh, they mentioned that they they're going to free cloud to find someone because obviously Picard's looking for Soji uh, and Seven of Nine gets uh, lured in by talking about Soji somehow. Not quite sure, but yeah. <laughs> uh, back on the La Serena, your favorite ship, <laughs> we get um, Rafi and Rios having a conversation while they're dealing with these stupid holographic controls that I don't like, but that's a nitpick. <laughs> I won't get too into that. Um, talking about Rios, yeah, Seven yeah, of again, Nine does not get to light his cigar yes indeed don't get me started on that either <laughs> but yeah um yeah not a fan of some of these aesthetic choices but it's interesting to note that raffi and rios uh sort of know seven of nine she has like a reputation she's the kind of infamous ex-borg and they they talk about how picard was borg as well which i think is the first time it's mentioned in the series but yeah. obviously it's gonna be important so yeah uh interesting bit of uh story back backstory and, and set up i think exposition there that we needed so uh, yeah then we click we quickly cut to Agnes on the ship uh, who's watching and again I don't love the silly holographic video screen rather than just using a video screen there's nothing wrong with that but you know, whatever um, but she's watching like videos of uh, Bruce Maddox which again I think is the first time we've seen him other than in the pre-credits uh, played by a different actor this time than his original appearance and she's just kind of watching home movies and getting emotional about him talking about the the alchemy of cooking and replicators can't quite match the real thing and uh, yeah you obviously get the sense without them going too far into exposition territory that they were a couple and they genuinely cared for each other so yeah. that gives you a bit of extra intrigue I would say as well um so just before we rock up to free cloud then did you have any thoughts quickly on these opening scenes and uh, and where we were here in the trek universe
0: I did like the uh I did like the banter between uh, Rafi and Rios it comes across mm. to me as very genuine I I I did like that again it's something I didn't pick up the first time I watched it but uh, they are very good actors
1: yeah um, I don't if the characters but the actors are fine but yeah I, I think just with me I don't think they've ever really they, they've never really cemented themselves for me or, or clicked in because they're not they're not Star Trek enough which sounds horrendous but yeah I just think there's too much <sighs> they go out of well, their a... way to try and make them into into something that they're not so they're always there's to a little too much intro.
0: Han Solo in Rios that's exactly what i I was going to say they
1: seem there's a lot of that in this episode
0: but it's it's it's, i don't know i don't know if if you would call it a man crush
1: but i do like rios as a character i'm not a fan i I mean i I don't mind aspects of him but as you say i think the writers want him to be a star wars character and that bugs the crap out of me just let him be a a good sort of captain you know what i mean there's there's nothing there's no shame in that there's no harmony you don't have to give him all these extra quirks and ticks and yeah oh, he's got to chomp on a cigar and he's got to be a badass and it's like yeah just let him you know let him be what he wants to be a captain um but it's the same with Rafi like just let her she can have kind of emotional problems without it having to be a deep problematic drug addiction and stuff it's like yeah stop going too far you know <laughs> yeah uh, i, I anyway. think they were
0: just trying to say this they were trying to make a statement that this is not the next generation and the yeah. only way to do that was to to distance from those type of characters as much as possible to get some variation. And, but I do think the overcorrection come across
1: as a bit bit too step too far. It does the overcorrected because they don't fit in this universe, and then you get characters that do fit perfectly. If I do say so myself, like Elnor, for example, fits perfectly. But then it's really jarring whenever he gets scenes with Rios and Rafi because they're just from a different show, so it yeah. doesn't fully work.
0: But um, again. I- it's it's really weird. I didn't like Elnor the first time I watched the season. I oh, see, but, I did. <laughs> yeah, I, I I just couldn't take to him, but I, I I've liked him so far in season two. And there's rewatching it today. There's been little aspects from this episode that's just mm. made me love him.
1: Oh, I like I liked his. I mean, I'll get into it later. But I just love his kind of innocence and his. Uh, he's very brusque and to the point without being rude. It's just a simple matter of he's never really known how to interact with people, I guess. So I love that dynamic. (laughs) He comes across to me
0: like a a Star Trek naive version of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy's Drax.
1: Yeah, a little bit. Um, I I think there's a lot of... um, Yeah, there's a bit of that, but I think there's a lot of... There's kind of an an innocent version of Legolas in there as well, because he's clearly designed to be like a badass elf warrior type character. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, but as you say, there's there's also a hint of, in a way, there's a hint of like early seven of nine. Like I've never interacted with people and I'm not sure how to, but I'm trying kind of thing. Yeah, um, but from a more humanoid perspective.
0: Yeah, I like Exactly.
1: That. But it's a shame they don't get a chance to interact more because it would be interesting to see that with her having developed a little bit and him being where she was when she was first, like, how do I deal with people? It would have been an interesting thing to look at, but that wasn't what they were doing. So fair enough.
0: It also um, would have been nice. Uh, I was disappointed that they didn't use the original actor for Maddox mm, as
1: well. Yeah. Um, I don't know why they didn't, because I've, I've, when I looked around, I, I saw that they didn't approach uh, the original Echeb and there's been controversies and stuff, so that might be the reason why. But I couldn't find any information as to why they didn't just ask the original actor back to play Bruce Maddox um again it wouldn't hugely have mattered as we'll see why by the end of the episode but it is jarring because the actor they've picked looks nothing like the original oh. guy whatsoever <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They didn't even try um but yeah anyway uh, so as the episode develops we get la serena is uh, approached by loads of holograms and things like the red boleon uh, who reveals that uh, the ship is a kaplan f-15 freighter which is the first time we find that out. Uh, there's loads of pop-ups and stuff, and uh, I think it's Elnor or Ag- no, Agnes has to punch one of them because it's more yeah. like a boxing thing or something, so she has to do that. Uh, and then, annoyingly, this bloody drug dealer advert props up trying to sell drugs to to Raffi, and I'm like, oh, you've went too far again, you know? Yeah. I mean? But then <laughs> did, you do get that
0: lovely little touch afterwards when Elnor goes, I didn't
1: get one. Yeah, I did like that because it's like it, it knows how to target the adverts somehow at exactly what everyone would kind of want and what would appeal, but with Elnora just didn't know what to do, which is such a fascinating idea, even in just one line of like, it it, it couldn't appeal to me with anything because it wouldn't even know where to start no. I was like, that is brilliant <laughs> that is ultimately like, talk about revealing to the audience this character is a blank slate, you know so, yeah um, where are we? So they find that Bajazal is holding Bruce Maddox and calling for the Tal Shiar for a deal uh, but Seven knows about her and her butchery of XBs or XBorgs uh, Seven, for me, is a little bit jarring here when she's kind of... Uh, obviously, she has reason to be knocked, shall we say, at Bajazel, but the idea of like using herself as being, going aboard with this plan and, and seeming very uh, led with anger, I guess, was a little bit like, ooh, I don't know if I like this particular side. We haven't really seen it. Yeah. Certainly, we haven't seen it where it hasn't been like, this This is bad. Maybe in like Prey from Voyager, where she ended up like because you don't like species A four you're trying to get them killed and then in the end we're going to you know ground you in the cargo bay for weeks because you've been a bad book so, <laughs> yeah <laughs> but uh yeah um i will say as they beam down to neonville i freaking hate free cloud it doesn't belong in star trek it's a star it, wars location again it really again, is. Yeah. I, I, I hate it. I hate the stupid costumes. I hate the holographic angel wings. I hate the sheer amount of bizarre aliens that don't need to be there. For... And, and I hate that the whole thing's washed out.
0: there's with... a space pimp.
1: No, I don't. And I didn't like when <laughs> they tried to make it funny by going, "Oh, you need a feather." No, no, he doesn't. Just <laughs> <laughs> shut up. He did. He I mean, did especially yeah. when uh, you know, uh
0: Picard affected the. Uh, Outrageous Monty Python French accent. It did come across. I absolutely
1: hate Picard's disguise in this episode. The eye patch and then whatever the frick that accent is. That is dreadful. Sir Patrick Stewart is a flippin' knight. He's an award winning Shakespearean actor. What is that accent? And why the heck, other than the fact that they're friends, the Jonathan Frakes, not go, Patrick, what the fuck are you doing? What is that? (laughs) You know what I mean? Because that is not a French accent. That really is it's very monty python as you say it's 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 not subtle, and it's certainly not believable
0: (laughs) but when the pre it it, it, it's really weird because later on when all pretense is dropped you just kind of think well that kind of went nowhere
1: exactly yeah it's it does feel like as i said because it's freaks directing it feels like this was maybe written in the script as a throwaway thing and they were like oh we're going to milk this because it's funny it's like, it's not. It's funny for you because you know each other and you're acting out this ridiculousness. For the viewer, it's not funny at all. It's just jarring. It didn't work because you can't, in my opinion,
0: you can't imagine Picard
1: going along with something like that, acting that silly. Exactly, yeah. Like I said, you can imagine him going along with the plan, but he wouldn't be like, oh, I'm just going to go really over the top. Oh, and it's like, no, no, no. no. Just no. (laughs) But uh, Yeah. Uh, getting back to the action though, we have the uh the, the lizard guy who's an alien race we've never seen before, but who can apparently smell lies and stuff that works for Bajazel, uh who is uh he's on it seems like he's on to Rios, but then we flash back because it's doing this noir structure of like, here's the problem, flashing back to how we solved it, uh, which kind of renders it pointless for me. But yeah, we, we have the brief tense moment of he's gonna smell that you're lying, then an immediate flashback of I'm gonna inject you with something where that won't matter. And I was like, Well, yeah, what was the point in that? And <laughs> it seems a bit yeah, weird. It's-
0: it is a little like they're trying to go all Oceans 11.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, yeah, heist movie issue, exactly. You're right. But it's, it. they're not as clever as that because it's not, the, the structure of that isn't introduce a problem, then immediately flashback to how you solve it. You know, there's got to yeah. be more to it than that. So I, I just don't think that really worked all that well. It was interesting to note that they were kind of, trying to sell Seven of Nine because they showed her X-Ray and all of her Borg parts were still there. And they did get into a little bit of explanation why of of the fact that she was raised by the Borg. So there's always going to be a degree of of something that... It's not just a matter of taking things out like an assimilated person would be. So uh, even when Picard, despite the way he's saying it, the kind of the way he's like, oh, they're defiled because from birth she was ingrained with the book, I was like, that's that's a fascinating thing to explore, but why are we doing it over the top of this Knights who say knee sketch that you're doing with this accent, you know? But, uh, yeah. Um, I did notice, however, in this moment, that uh, despite all of my things that I have said in the past, Rafi and Seven of Nine do interact before they decide to be a couple in this episode. It was just so brief that I didn't notice it the first time around.
0: Same here, I didn't (laughs) pick up on it until now, but now looking back with hindsight, you're well, it's there, but it's not, it's not very uh, nuanced and it's not very telegraphed. Either way, it's just like
1: a glance. And And it does that horrible thing of um, I always remember Futurama taking the mick out of this When Fry's written an opera And uh, one of the characters in it just goes like You can't just tell the audience what you feel That makes me feel angry Because the entire dialogue is just like Oh, you're Seven of Nine I admire you I was like, what? That's that's bad writing 101 You don't just walk up and say This is what I feel about you And expect that to be like Sold, they're a couple now (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? But, uh, it's anyway. it's a
0: bad the the tone, the tone during this section, it's a very bad juxtaposition because as you say, they're going for the noir look, mm. but they're doing it in a very
1: rent a ghost kind of way. Yeah, very, yeah, exactly. Um but having said that, bear with me a sec. Um it is as you said. one of the better parts of the episode is when Elnor kind of puts two and two together and realises that they're all lying, as he puts it, because he realises it's an act. And there's such genuineness to the way that Evan Evagora plays that. It's like, yeah. oh, everyone's lying. <laughs> That's such a great moment. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's in flashbacks. So he's like, I see what you're doing. Now everyone's playing a game. And then <laughs> as they're trying to kind of talk him into what he's going to do, it's like, well uh you, you can you can just be elnor because that's easy to remember and then seven of nine's just <laughs> frustratedly saying an elnor who never talks yes <laughs> <laughs> see that kind of thing is, is great that kind of banter we could have done with a bit more of instead of the yeah. daft accent stuff um Definitely. but yeah um let's see so yeah picard d- demands to to see maddox by using seven as bait uh but yeah that's that's taking us to this kind of like, oh, what's going to happen now? But I, I don't think there's any real intrigue here. I'm like, oh, and? Because I think that's because I know how it ends at the end of season one, and I'm like, it goes nowhere, <laughs> so never mind. Yeah. Um, moving on, though, we do get a little bit of Raffi backstory. Um, again, with flashback to say that she's located her son while they're on this mission on her free cloud. Um, it's actually a, quite a sweet scene. I like this version of her when she's not like a complete wreck, because you can see there's kind of a Starfleet person there and somebody who's you know, who likes the camaraderie and stuff. But, uh, yeah, it's it's weird it how... Makes, Go ahead, And Zach. it
0: makes me wonder if they're going to actually pick up on Raffi's story before the see, the series itself finishes or if they're just going to leave
1: it as this throwaway where she's... Oh, they do here. I mean, they they explain it here, but it's just it's not a particularly great story and it's now already resolved because she goes to try and talk to her son and you basically get him giving you the exposition of like, oh, what? You're here to see me. Well, why don't you tell me about how all of these conspiracy theories you believe and how they've driven you to care more about that than me and how it was. That's what I mean. She's proven in the end that she's right.
0: But are we ever going to get a a reconciliation
1: scene? Well, no, because I don't think it matters. That's the whole point, is that she shouldn't... As far as he's concerned, she shouldn't have cared. It wasn't her responsibility. So whether she's right or wrong, it's like, why did she care more about the truth, I guess, than him? Um, so from his point of view, he'd still be bitter about that, which is a very interesting angle to to look at it that way. But again, I could have done without it being she immediately lapses into this complete wreck of like, oh, it wasn't, it's not a lie. Oh, I'm becoming this twitchy wreck of a person. Like, yeah. like, just play it normally. You can play it without having to just devolve into this drug withdrawal. It's not a lie. I'm, I'm telling you the truth kind of thing.
0: Hmm. Yeah, she did sing to, for a, for a Starfleet officer, I mean, yeah, it is a son that she's talking to, but she did quickly devolve into a, a
1: junkie from Hill Street Blues. Yeah, and it's the only time I think that she's done that an acting choice because, as I said, she's great. Michelle heard in the scenes on the Serena, and even on the scenes when she's initially talking to her son and you can kind of see almost she's not wanting to to bite when he's like, what about this conspiracy and what about that? And it's like, when she finally does give in and bite, she doesn't need to go all the way, as you said, to kind of like, now I seem like the insane guy on the street corner that's telling you that lizards run the world kind of thing because it doesn't help your case, you know? (laughs) uh to... yeah anyhow she basically goes through uh the motions and finds out that her son has a vulcan wife and she now has a granddaughter but they want nothing to do with her so they basically just part ways which again renders the scene kind of pointless i guess but as you said yeah. it'd be nice if we pick it up somewhere along the way but otherwise it's just basically oh we need to give raffy some backstory that's slotted because,
0: in here well it's, it's like they couldn't think of a way to get raffy into the uh the, yeah, the,
1: the, the mission, the, yeah the bar
0: scene, the, the exchange scene. So they just think, well, we need to give her something to do.
1: Yeah, and they realize they hadn't given her any backstory yet, so why not do it? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I suppose it makes a kind of, of story sense, but uh, it, it doesn't really do anything, it doesn't go anywhere, which is a shame. um But moving back to the main plot, we get a bloodied looking Maddox with the uh, Bajazel and her lizard. Uh, and yeah, talk about Seven of Nine's implants, but Bajazel knows her as Annika. Uh, everyone draws their guns up on this revelation and Agnes on the ship is very nervous and uh, having a bit of a panic attack as Emile tries to deal with her, the uh, emergency medical hologram that looks like him, but she just has nothing to do with him and deactivates him. Yeah. Um, she has this kind of, it's a really good scene, and again, I like Alison Pill a lot of the times here, so the kind of awkwardness of um, when she's communicating with Rios, and he says she mucked up the operative terms, and she's like, affirmative, confirmed, oh, whatever, because <laughs> you know, it's kind of, it, it's quite relatable when somebody's being, because Rios is kind of, as it, as Picard says in episode one, he's, he can deny it, but he's stuffy through and through, he's all about regs and rules, and she would just be frustrated and be like, oh, just, you know what I mean, get on with it, <laughs> you know what I mean, so... <laughs> I can dig that kind of character moment it's kind of nice um where are we so yeah from there we get the uh reveal that it was Bajazel who carved up Echib. uh and she says that Seven was easily manipulated and uh that's how she got to Icheb because she trusted her but Seven responds then how did I get away uh which uh is very intriguing and I think Jerry Ryan is excellent playing this as she kind of grabs her by the throat and stuff and you can sense not only the I've got one up on you because I got away, but also the genuine rage at what happened to Icheb and the guilt that she thinks it's her fault. And it's so well played that that's all in like two lines or something (laughs) that I was like, that is great. And the fact that the episode itself immediately, when she kind of grabs her by the throat, everyone's like, drop your weapon and everyone drops their pretense at the same time. So Elno asking, you know, is this part of the thingy and Picard finally being a bit serious and saying, no, no, I think everyone's finally stopped pretending. I was like right again that's good stuff you can write good when you try
0: <laughs> yeah
1: um, it, it just yeah. it just
0: made the 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 accent
1: before just yeah I, I can't get over that it's so bad it really it's just such a bad choice that that plagues the character in this episode but uh, never mind <laughs> um anyway because we, we should get into bruce maddox recognizes picard for obvious reasons uh and bajazel also recognise him as him as the famous admiral and that she's now being played uh, there's lots of hints about her relationship with Annika, which uh, feeds the audience in that uh obviously seven of nine is into women as well as men or instead of men we don't know but she certainly seems to be into women now because there's a hint of more than friends shall we say going into that um say, this is when seven gets into like Picard trying to talk her out of doing what she did and her saying yeah you you can't be self-righteous because we are the worlds the federation left behind and everything and tells him the story of what happened to each and again i was quite choked up when she mentioned specifically that Icheb was another borg that was rescued by voyager because i'm just a huge voyager fan so i was like oh Voyager, yay!" <laughs> at least it got a name drop <laughs> but uh yeah I also love that Picard stays the Picard that I know and love because he. it is really nice to me that he's like murder is not justice um, and he's trying to talk to her with all of the right things um, if she chooses to hear it, which we'll deal with later, I guess. But uh, then they trade, obviously, uh, Maddox for Bajazzo's life because she's been held hostage. Uh, and But they do say, you know, Seven of Nine could just find her again. But Picard beams the five of them up to the La Serena, Agnes is wonderfully proud, I think, of herself because she's managed to do it. There's a great like, yay! (laughs) And she runs up to kind of, to Bruce as her boyfriend, obviously. Uh, And yeah, it's a a nice like brief moment of triumph in the episode, uh, which is kind of sullied slightly by the fact that Picard and Seven, uh, Seven of Nine basically says to Picard, I'm taking a couple of phaser rifles because we vigilantes could use them. And Picard's like, yeah, no problem. I'm like, the federation just gave weapons to known to yeah. terrorists and he was like yeah why not you know what, I mean? it's like, what kind of lax ass security is this <laughs> <laughs> but regardless of that it does also lead though to the my top moment in the episode and possibly in the series uh, which is the great bit of dialogue about you know um do you feel like you've retained all your humanity since you were back from the bug no but we're both trying every day of my life uh, yeah. and the fact that as Seven of Nine says that, the music literally starts playing the Voyager theme. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's that's how you get me. You know yeah, how to do it. <laughs> but yeah, unfortunately, that great emotional moment is immediately spoiled because Seven beams right back in and kills Bajazel <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> says that, yes, Picard should still have some hope and some mercy in him, but... She owes Bajizzle for each so Seven Nine doesn't care and will just brutally blast her way out of there and shoot away like a badass and just murder people, and yay, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've just said in my notes, I understand it, but I hate it. <laughs> what else is there to say, really, other than that, you know? um Yeah, so uh, we get Bruce in the sickbay uh, being revealed that Dodge is dead, but she does have a sister. He's starting to ramble about, you know, she's on the Bo cube and myself and Soong did it, uh, talking about, obviously, as we later learn, talking about Alton Soong and how they'd created um, these new kind of uh, and Soji and such. Uh, but also, you know, we get further developments of Agnes, seeing the Romulans and the Federation are involved, at least there's a bit of development on that. And then the reveal that she's kind of, she's not quite herself because as we saw previously, she'd mind melded with, what was revealed to be a Romulan agent, so she completely breaks down. She kills Bruce, which is surprising, Uh, says that it's just another thing she has to atone for. The EMH activates, sensing her panic, but she again deactivates it and starts to kind of have some kind of fit herself. Alison Pill's epic acting makes this her kind of breakdown because it's so emotional and so real, but I just still don't like that she just murdered somebody. I can't get on board with that crap. Yeah. yeah. Um, Yeah. And that's how the episode I still, ends. <laughs> I still have a problem with with Jurati
0: killing. Yeah, yeah. And I'm wondering if that that could lead to something later in this series, what I touched upon earlier.
1: Maybe, although I think they've basically tried to deal with that with a throwaway line in episode one. But we'll see. Um, so that takes us to the end of the episode. Did you uh, Did you have any other kind of thoughts on the stuff that we haven't covered? Maybe or anything you wanted to talk about.
0: No, you've pretty much I mean you've pretty much summed it up there's some there's some fantastic dialogue and there's some great yeah. acting but it's hampered by some really just strange choices which yeah. just undermines it it it's a, it's a it's a very difficult one because it do, for the most part it doesn't feel like Star Trek. So I can mm. see why people would, you know, looking at this episode out of context, I can see why people would look at it and go, "That's not Star Trek." I mean, it mm-hmm. is Star Trek. You all, <sighs> but it's it's not so much that. It's it's some of the decisions made in it, and I, yeah. you know, I can get that maybe they want to have a bit of fun while filming the episode and. Mm-hmm but it just it doesn't make any sense in the story why picard would use i mean okay he could use a french accent
1: but not something so just out no because i mean he's he's done the french accent thing back in the next generation and he's been perfectly serviceable And, exactly yeah it's just weird that now all of a sudden it's like comedy over the top version it's just basically it was probably great fun to film as you said but to watch it's just painful
0: <laughs> so, yeah yeah, yeah
1: it's, it's
0: just, as i said just a mixture of styles undermines the actual episode itself
1: yeah yeah completely um fair enough but the next thing i'm doing then this season uh, as you may well remember is that i wanted to deal with um just for a bit of extra flavour again, the favourite character, favourite moment or scene, and favourite line of dialogue. Uh, so we'll start with your favourite character in this episode, DK.
0: Again, I'm going to have to... Oh, actually, no, no. It's going to be Elnor. Okay. Yeah, just, just his re- his reaction. He doesn't get an, an, an amazing amount to do in this episode. But what he does get, the way he plays it, it's done really well. And he, he, much more than the first time I watched it, he really impressed me as both as a character and as a, as an, an Evan Aguri, as an actor.
1: Yeah, definitely. Okay, I can I can certainly agree with that. I can I can see where you're coming from. Uh, what I said is that um, everyone has something messed up that ruins their character and prevents me from picking them. Um, Picard's awful accent is somehow the least egregious, and he's almost the sole character who emerges with morality intact. So I guess I'll pick him. <laughs> Well, yeah. What else can I say? Um, so, what's your favorite moment or scene from the episode? Uh, it is the uh,
0: the one that you brought up, the one with regards to uh, humanity.
1: Mm. I said exactly the same. Yeah. There's not many moments, but I like the Picard Seven speech, minus the giving two guns to a terrorist. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. Um, favorite line of dialogue, if you have one, or, or kind of quote. Again, it's, it's, it's
0: the same. The same one.
1: I thought you'd say that. Yeah, I have, I have it saved because I wanted to do them justice. So my overall favourite one is, um, after they brought you back from your time in the collective, do you honestly feel that you regained your humanity? Yes, all of it? No, but we're both working on it, aren't we? Every damn day of my life. Picard yeah. and seven, it's so good. Uh, so the, the next uh, section then is, before we hit the conclusions and scores, as you know, is the Gene's uh, vision section. So <sighs> I picked through with a fine-tooth comb to look for stuff. So do you think there's anything that represents kind of Gene's vision of Star Trek that's present in this episode for the haters that are whinging about it, shall we say?
0: Just Picard's outlook.
1: I'd, I'd more or less at this uh, point, He still he still doesn't give in. Yeah, I said Picard's idealism and sense of justice is, is very Star Trek, thankfully, and he's the only one that kind of gets to maintain that, which is a shame. Um, I also think Elno's kind of innocence is, is very kind of Star Trekian, and uh, there's always that other character that's like a stranger to humanity that looks at us from the outside and kind of thinks, oh, this is, how do I interact, which I like. Um, but there's literally nothing else other than that that I could find. No, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not a very good representation of uh, of his vision, is it? No, not really. Um, so, do you want? Do, do you want to? I'll give you my conclusion and score. I think of all, I really like, slightly <laughs> uh, so. I have said uh, this episode is everything I hate about this show. I desperately want to connect. I really do connect with Seven. Then she's a murderer. I connect with Agnes, and she becomes a murderer. Rafi and Rios continue to be characters from the wrong franchise who don't fit in my view of the Trek universe. Elno is cool but barely used. The mystery parts would be intriguing, but they're already dragging by this point, and I know the payoff will ultimately be disappointing. In the interests of balance, it's not all bad. There's some fine acting on display, nice little Easter egg references, and some brilliantly written dialogue shining through. But overall, for me, this is not really tonally or plot-wise Star Trek that I recognise, despite all the references. And it leaves me feeling hollow, kind of sad, and clinging to whatever good bits I can, which are either undercut or far too fleeting. Um, And I went with 1.5 or one and a half out of five deltas for the episode. So, yeah, not a fan, shall we say. (laughs) So uh, with that in mind, give us your conclusion and score, please, if you don't mind.
0: I would say it's an interesting look at life outside or on the borders of the Federation and things that we've not seen. Well, we've Mm -hmm. touched upon in Star Trek before, but we've not really delved into it. Having said that, it doesn't do it in a way that makes it appeal that you would like to see even more of it. If anything, it's a, uh, it undercuts just how, uh, how can I put this? It undercuts just how uh, valid the viewpoint from outside the Federation is. It could have done it in a lot better way than it did. And what could Mm. have been in it, an interesting episode with, and don't get me wrong it's got some fantastic pieces of dialogue in it it's just undercut by some of the really strange and in some cases crass
1: decisions yeah okay um and what did you what would you think for a score then out of 5 honestly yeah it's going to have to be a
0: 3 it's gonna, okay. I don't I don't hate it as much as as much as you do but it's as i say anything good that happens in the episode is undermined by some of the some of the just strange
1: choices yeah See, i wouldn't even give it above halfway because i wouldn't say it's a pass on a pass fail so i couldn't legitimately give it above two and a half and i actually liked it even less so that's why i went with one and a half but uh, yeah three is fine if that's how you feel about the episode that's fair enough Um, i I just
0: see it as very middle of the road i don't despise it but i don't love it it's got some good bits it's got some bad points but it 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 just never rises above it's, it's it's a bit of a mess to be honest yeah And because of that I I, I I can't put it in either camp i mean there are some episodes i absolutely loathe i don't loathe mm. it i'm
1: just kind of indifferent towards the whole thing it doesn't i see like, what you're saying
0: yeah star trek to me
1: it doesn't really elicit even a strong enough response to say that it's bad as such it's just kind of there, no is what you're it's, there. it's
0: it's there it, as i say if, if if the, the, the dialogue didn't shine in some aspects and the acting mm. didn't shine in some aspects, it will, the score would be a lot lower.
1: Fair enough. Um, okay, so just to, to finish that off then, to give you the average uh, for the podcast, the average of one and a half and three means our final score for the episode Stardust City Rag is 2.25 out of five. <laughs> so it's not quite one. halfway. <laughs> I think it's probably fair. fair enough to say that. So, yeah. That concludes the uh, the actual business of the thing then, uh, the actual review. But there's one more thing to deal with, and uh, that is the section audience interaction, or as I like to call it, subspace communication.
0: Incoming transmission.
1: Uh, okay, so I've got this up on my, my phone. Uh, as, as you will know if you're a regular listener, I basically put out social media posts and ask, what are your thoughts on this episode? Um, I only got half a dozen On this episode because I don't think it's really warrants a strong enough reaction maybe from people back one way or the other but um, I just wanted to read out the ones that I do have so um, my friend Ramon first of all says um, hit it was an interesting chapter that we knew a place out of the Federation yes we need casinos and gangsters. Not sure I agree, but okay. Um, John Glasgow says, awful in every way that a thing can be awful. If Putin was a TV show, this episode would be his a-hole. card was already bad, but this episode took it to a new low. The costumes, the accents, it was offensive to any rational mind. <laughs> I, I think we might have found somebody who likes it even less than me. Yeah, that's. Um, don't hold back. Say what you feel. Exactly, yeah. Uh, thanks for that, John. <laughs> Scott Hussey says, um, my heart breaks for Ichab. I'm glad Seven exploded, but Jezel the disguises were a little over the top, but a lot of fun and the Voyager theme playing when Seven beams down hits me right in the feels every time. So, fair enough. Uh, Ari Baranovsky says, it's so good, it pivots back and forth between silly and serious quite well. The heart-to-heart between Picard and Seven followed immediately by Seven completely vaporizing, but with some amazing emotional whiplash. Okay, so it worked for one person at least. Um, and finally, uh, Reta Juhainen, I apologize if I butchered that, um, just says, it's my favorite Picard episode so far. So surprisingly mixed, there are people who seem to yeah. really like the episode and what it was doing. As, so, As I say every time, art is subjective. Of course, of course, and I wouldn't begrudge anybody liking these things. It's just, as I said, for me, it wasn't quite the Star Trek that I, I leaned towards and I didn't like the decisions made, so naturally it got a low score. But as I said... Uh, it is what it is. So that will conclude that. So, yeah, all that's left for me to do is to say thank you so much for stepping in to review this episode uh, at the last minute, DK. I appreciate it. Uh, and as I said, uh, listeners, if you uh, are interested in these kinds of things, you are going to be hearing a lot more of DK because he's going to become something of a semi-regular co-host, certainly starting in Series 3, if uh, if and when that ever happens. Yeah, um, because I <laughs> So, yeah, um, so as is a uh, tradition, this is your chance to plug yourself, your socials and any other projects you have going. So fire away.
0: <laughs> oh, well, got nothing to plug right now. Just uh, if you want to follow me, if you want, uh, you know, even more inane diatribes, I am on <laughs> at aka Starlord on
1: Twitter. Awesome. And uh DK will also be helping me out with my Silver Screen podcast, which you can find at podcast underscore screen on Twitter or at Silver Screen Podcast on YouTube. Uh, We are going to be doing, I think, in a few weeks, we're reviewing the Venom movies. So that'll be fun. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, Uh, you can find me at Iron Mike Wilson, or this podcast is at Hom Trek or HOMtrek. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, et cetera, all uh, just with my name. Or you can find the podcast on Instagram under Hit or Miss Star Trek. And I will be back next week. Uh, We're sticking with the Borg 7 of 9 theme. uh, And I'm going to be joined by returning guest Linda Butler. And we're going to be reviewing the Voyager episode, The Raven. So do stay tuned for that. So thanks again for joining me, DK. And, uh, yeah, audience, remember, we are Starfleet. Live long and prosper. Live long and prosper.